0: Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to the marketer's journey. I'm Randy, and today I've got Victor Lee. Victor was most recently the CMO at RX Bar. If you know RX Bar, you've probably seen it at every retail store or you've shopped for it online or Amazon, like my wife and I do. But it's a great brand. And even before that, if you got tempted by this podcast, you probably saw the call out to his almost eight years at Hasbro, where he got to work with amazing brands like Transformers and Nerf play-doh monopoly i mean things that we grew up with and that we probably all love still playing with today so i was definitely leaning in here just from a brand perspective alone but you know we really ended up talking about the the need to change and the, the need to adapt digital platforms. And, you know, I I know some people listening to this podcast may be in more complex buyer journeys, but I think you can learn a lot from Victor in terms of taking chances and thinking outside of the lines, not just sitting there and saying, okay, I'm going to approach things in a a day-to-day basis, but saying, how do I stand out? This is one of those podcasts where you will learn how to stand out. Victor unpacks that, especially in the second half, once you understand who Victor is and where he's gone to, you'll see some of the challenges he's had to come to with, as I described it, you know, these brands that were not born digital, but need to go digital. And a lot of you may be working in companies like that, where your your company is not necessarily fully ready to go all in on digital and sometimes need that push from behind. So you can be that person to push. Victor is that person right here on The market Journey. Hey, Victor, thanks for making time to talk about your career, your path, some of the most amazing brands that I adore growing up, even still adore now as a grown-up. Maybe talk to us about what it was like to get to that C-level opportunity uh, in your former role as as CMO at RxBar.
1: First off, thank you, Randy, for having me. I'm a big fan of your stuff. I I know it sounds cliche but um, to say, but... Um, obviously it's it's always an honor um, to do something like this and and to share my experiences. What it took, I I mean, I wish I could say there's a template and uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people who listen and, and who try to track their career the same way. Wish there was a, an easy Wikipedia page with a, with a guideline of what to do and what year to do it and how to do it to get there. And, And I would say every journey is different for me. I think I was, it was, If anybody tells you that they were super skillful to achieve their level of success, um, they're liars. Um, I believe so because it takes an enormous amount of luck and it takes an enormous amount of support and help from people. And in any corporate environment, most people can probably relate that there's a side of people that are willing to help you in your career. And then there's the other side that aren't willing to help you in your career. And each individual has to be fortunate enough to find the right people that want to help you. That, that don't put themselves in front of everything else that puts the greater good of the business and the company. And, and I was very fortunate in every step of my way to have at least one person in that organization that really took me under and, and watched me, taught me, and, and in some cases had the, the toughest of love in order to get me there. And, and the other lucky thing was I was very fortunate early, early in my career when I was at a very small agency, um, AMP out in Boston, that it was early 2000s, the digital boom started. Um, this thing called the internet was there. AOL was still rocking and going big and flooding people's mailboxes with um, CDs. And we had a client that was in that space and basically said, how would you like to be our agency? And we, we absolutely jumped on. And, and at that point there was a little bit of, who knows anything about the internet? Who wants to run this account? And at that time, not a lot of people knew, um, but everybody wanted to run it. And I was fortunate enough to be at the right place at the right time and really cut my teeth really early in the beginning. And, and we talk about how these kids nowadays are born into YouTube and TikTok and Snapchat and Instagram and Facebook and everything else into it. But literally, I was my, my career was born right into to the Internet. So I got to learn along the way versus um, learning from studying the past. Instead, I, I learned by making a ton of mistakes and, and getting a handful of victories along the way, and that helped propel to everything to get me to the place where I got to now. So
0: I, I love that story, and I, I, I appreciate, as you said, that it's a little bit of luck. But you know, the brands that you've gotten to work with more recently—just to recap them for people tuning in here—I mean, the RX Bar exploded out of nowhere uh, for me in terms of, you know, first my wife introducing me to it as this kind of niche. Healthy thing, and then before I know it, I'm traveling in every airport and seeing it everywhere I go. I mean, the the brand literally took off, and you know, even my kids, I think, were eating it. Last I saw, with a kids' version, um, <laughs> and and then before that, you're at Hasbro. I mean, you know, brands like like Transformers and Nerf. I mean, you know, so many great games and associations that a lot of us have. How do you? I, I assume you chose these out of a degree of passion. You know, what what was it that allowed you to, to say, okay, this is where I'm going to take my career next.
1: To a, to a degree, Randy, I, I, I agree that it was I chose those out of passion. But it's also, I mean, if I could choose the companies I can work for, I can give you a list of top ones, which I think 90% of everybody in the world would say the same companies. Um, but I think I think one important message on that is you do have to love the product brand or category that you're about to go into. Um, for Hasbro, it, it was it was twofold. One, prior to Hasbro, which was probably around 2010, so early 2011, um, I had done majority of my career, actually all of my career leading up to that, um, working at the agency side. And when working at the agency, what, what it enabled me to, to build in terms of muscle memory was speed, agility, and efficiency. As agencies even today are beholden to their clients' requests and demands on any given day, they have to react fast. They're they they're supposed to be the one ones who who have all the answers, whether or not right or wrong. But they're supposed to have all the answers. They're supposed to have the manpower, the support, the ability, and and even the vision, so to say. And when I got the call from Hasbro um, to see if I was interesting, it was it was a great little story. During the interviews, they they said we're a 90 plus year old company and and we need to innovate our marketing and we're no longer just a toy company we we really need to be storytellers content creators we need we need the ability to connect better um, with our audiences whether it's kids which has its own barriers obviously for uh, legal copa and kwrl reasons but also the parents and the gift givers and anybody who's buying the product so that was the 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 business attraction to it was being able to before the word digital transfer, transformation was cool, being able to do that. The other part was personal. And, and I grew up in the Boston area, Hasbro's based in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. only less, it's less than an hour away. And my favorite brand was G.I. Joe. I, I remember going home every single day to catch it and watching it, the comic books, and then Transformers came on right afterwards, and I would watch that. And I fell in love with those brands. I still have them to this day, some, most of my comic books and toys. And when you when you love what you're going to do, in this case was the digital side, and then it happens to be on a brand that you absolutely grew up in love with, that, that's kind of the perfect storm of, of the cliche of if you love what you're doing, you're never working a day in your life. Um, and that's what it felt like in a lot of cases.
0: Absolutely. Now, I, I'm just in the midst of reading Shoe Dog, uh, which is a great oh, book fantastic. by Phil Knight. Uh, and there's a great quote in there that, uh, that talks about, you know, having a passion for what you do. And, and when you have that, it's it's not work. It's just something you believe in, uh, which makes which makes life so much easier. So you, you describe having a little bit of luck, uh, you know, finding the right mentors, having passion. You know, what is it though that allows you to climb up to that more senior level? Because I, I think a lot of people will sit there and, and even listen to this, this podcast and say, well, I have all those things. But how do I actually make that jump? How do I get into yeah. that you know, senior VP level or that C level if, if they should be so lucky?
1: I think this is my personal journey. So I, it's one of those I have to put a disclaimer. The voice and, the voice and opinions are expressed in this. is only <laughs> on me, not anybody else. Because uh, the last thing I want is somebody saying, I, I listened to Victor and he told me to do this. I didn't I got fired. Um, that's not the case. This is <laughs> my journey. Um, my journey is really based on a lot of, and, and this is going to sound weird, but um, my personal character, meaning I look at a lot of things personally, professionally, I look at things and and I dream about kind of, is there a better way? Why not? Why couldn't we? And, and I like to tinker and dabble with things. And what helped me a lot to excel, even when I was at Digitas at the agency prior to Hasbro, was going to the client with not obscure weird impossible to do multi-billion dollar budgets but what if we tried this what if we tried this and and pragmatically i probably thought through my head could we do it if somebody said yes realistically it went through my head in terms of the 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 can i can i can i curse on this i'm not sure absolutely i I wrote a book (laughs) with a curse word
0: you can curse as much as you want
1: and so i said to myself holy shit what if they say go are we able to and and the the scary part wasn't that the client said yes, the scary part was the teams around me afraid to do it because it's never been done or there is no instruction manual how to do it and and what has helped me a lot is not the 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 fear of failure and and this is really weird, it is really the fear of success because when the fear of success is when you when you get that when you nail it. And you say to yourself, wow, there was no way in hell I ever thought I was going to do that. And you don't have to do it every single time. And and I tell a lot of my teams that I've worked with and people is that um, the analogy is is that you're going to fail in your career more than you succeed. But there's a mentality put in us when we're working because it's just so stressful, so competitive that if you fail, you suck. That's not the case. The reality is you're going to fail more than you win. And I use a baseball analogy. There's a Chicago White Sox catcher who's in the Hall of Fame, and his batting average was around 260, I believe. And I'm not sure exactly, but it was around 260, 270 probably. And he's in the Hall of Fame. That means less than three times out of 10 he hit the ball. But he's in the Hall of Fame where the greatest baseball players are. So I tell people, you only need to hit 300. But there's a mentality for that. And and that's how I approached a lot of things in terms of how I've climbed. is you take the risk that's worth taking. Um, You fight the fights worth fighting for, not the ones you know you can win because you're just going to win anyways. And that happens across the board in everything I do and in how I approach every um, task or opportunity I have.
0: Well, I, I'm, I'm definitely leaning in. I've got passion. I'm, I'm excited to, to work with you one day after hearing that. Victor, we're going to take a short break here. Then I, w- I want to dig a little bit more into what it means to lead the digital arm of some of these big companies. We'll be right back here on The Marketer's Journey. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. When chatting with Victor, we hit on this idea of passion. And what does it mean to find a company where you feel passionate about what you're selling? And I think this is so important. In fact, I alluded to this quote from Shoe Dog, great book by Phil Knight, the creator of Nike. And this is what the quote said. It said, so why was selling shoes so different? Knight goes on to say, because I realized it wasn't selling. I believed in running. I believed that if people got out and ran a few miles every day, the world would be a better place. And I believed these shoes were better to run in. People sensing my belief wanted some of that belief for themselves. Belief, I decided, belief is irresistible. It's such a powerful part of where we work and what we do on an everyday basis. And when you hear Victor talk about the companies that he's chosen to work with, the companies that he's been able to succeed in, as he describes, sometimes his work is a hobby, and I think that's the real excitement, when we find that career, when we find that place where we get to go in every day and we get to have this true passion to what we aim to do. Hey, Victor, we are back here and your career is amazing. I'm a yeah, super fan. I feel like I wish I could have lived in your shoes, but I'm also wondering how much of a challenge it was at times. I, I mean, we're talking about really cool brands, but old brands in some ways uh, that have a lot of history, a lot of heritage. How do you push a company to go digital when they weren't born digital? You know,
1: how, and what does that actually look like? That That's actually been the majority of my career is, and, and, and I'm not saying it's as a negative thing. I actually thrive and get excited into that because it's one of those um, don't tell somebody they can't because they're going to prove you they can. Um, and it all started early in the days with General Motors at the agency. And, and you can imagine automotive, Sunday newspaper, Super Bowl ads, and that's it. And coming from Digitas where we were grounded in, in data and it was a digital agency to convince a client of that that was hard. And I think early on when you have a very rigid um client i'm not saying gm was um, we, we actually had a lot of very progressive marketing directors that work there um, when you have the rigidity of that you have to find some small wins you have to find some common sense stuff back then it was easier because there wasn't so much explosion in digital social media was just starting the data was was always there but it wasn't everything that we see now and you had to get small wins we had to show why paid search traffic drove a higher qualified lead to their dealerships. That was easy to do. We had to show how simple, creative, white background ads advertised on an Edmunds.com or Yahoo Autos is probably going to draw a higher click because people are in the mindset of buying cars when they're on those sites specifically than when you're on a general site. When you get smaller wins like that and it demonstrates all the way through this so-called purchase funnel or path of purchase... Then they start believing in it, and then they start getting curious, and that's the power you want—curiosity. Curiosity only happens when there's some kind of modicum of success, because then they start asking, "Well, how did that happen? How could we duplicate it? How could we scale it? What if we did this?" And, and when you have them curious and wanting more, that—that's when the transformation has happened. um At Hasbro, was a slightly different because you had to introduce the stuff and you had to grow and, and get them into in, into things, but. Oftentimes, I heard, and a lot of people here, where digital was always, if we have a leftover dollar from a ten dollar budget, we'll spend it on digital. Right. And and they were they never had a seat in the room. There are so many times I was never invited to something, because they said, well, it's not digital. We're going to talk about the brand. And that was hard to do. But is the same practice and and that I applied over at the General Motors days is you got to get some small wins. And once you get some small wins, every brand wants that for themselves. And when they get a taste of victory, they just want to keep on competing
0: you you bring up Hasbro, and let's maybe d- double click on that one just from the perspective of you were there over time where digital definitely grew in terms of importance i can only assume and i would imagine you know even just the, the shift in channels i mean when i was a kid which is you know even before you started there obviously you know i remember i would get excited about what toy i may want by going into toys r us right like walking through the aisles that was the idea and the commercials that would get me there. Now we've got regulations. And we probably don't even go into the toy store. We decide what we're going to buy online. What were the goals of being on digital? I, I guess is maybe the better way to describe it. And I would imagine the same question at our expo. You know, in many cases, we associate buying those products in a retail environment. So what is digital designed to do?
1: There are a couple of, depending on where, where the... Um maturity level of the company is I, I think you you start in a different place at hasbro they were a toy manufacturer for the longest time 90 somewhat years and the ceo has always pushed the company and, and put in place a bold strategy of, of being storytellers first and there's a lot of success in that when you see somebody like a disney but but obviously they had powerful brands and characters and stories to tell but hasbro did too they had transformers they had my little pony they had a lot of littlest pet shops and others and they had a lot of power in the in the brand but to your point randy which you which you nailed on the head um kids and families going into a toy store Um, at this day and age it wasn't happening that much the shift was already there now if you didn't walk into a toy store run down those aisles of toys to see what you wanted well how else would you know about it well, you can probably get it off a TV ad if you watch Disney Channel, or Cartoon Network, or Nickelodeon. But you, you, the world saw that from phones to cell phones and, and to iPads computers, that more and more kids were, were online. And it didn't take a lot to apply the common sense theory to it that when you go onto YouTube, and I, I forget which year it was, it was, I think it was like 2014 or 2015, Um, there was a YouTuber that opened up toys, unboxing, which is what everybody talked about. She made more money on YouTube that year than Taylor Swift did on YouTube. Obviously Taylor Swift made a lot more from concerts and albums, but on YouTube, that was a sign that that's easy. When you see kids just trapped for hours on YouTube, watching unboxing, there's no characters, there's no voices. They're just watching it. Those are signals that you use, and, and we used it inside at Hasbro to say, there's a shift. And when you get people to believe in that, that's when the transformation happens. The real transformation happens when, as I said earlier, you are no longer left in digital as a nice to have versus a need to have. It has to be digital first. It used to be mobile first, and it's digital first. Now it has to be digital at the core in most people and executives in companies.
0: So, a question for you: Shifting to your more recent experience at RX Bar, which is, yeah, as far as I know, unless there was a rebrand of something else, a much more modern brand. Where, where did digital come into the mind? There was it. Was it we want to be a retail brand,
1: or was it we want to be a digital brand? It was um, when it was created. It was created a little over six years ago. Uh, ironically, it was created in the most customary and old school way. They, they The founders made the bars in the basement of uh, one of their mother's house and then and overnight. And then during the day, they would just go door to door and give out samples. And that was it. There was nothing involved. But ultimately, they created the online selling first. They would sell directly online and built a really robust business. And I think the challenge there wasn't transforming them digitally, but was how digital can work alongside with the retail because once the big boxes the walmarts the whole foods the trader joe's the targets and everybody started calling and wanted a product then you run into a situation of how do you really become the omni channel that everybody talks about how do you can you maintain your presence your your revenue your margins and everything while continuing to build a robust and large and scalable direct channel and, and for a lot of companies to can do that some companies can't some companies see that their direct channels compete with their retail and rather than pissing off the retailer, they shut off their direct channels. Um, But there is a way you can coexist and there is a way that everybody can prosper out of it. And that's really a lot of what um, I helped guide with them.
0: Very interesting. I mean, I'll be honest, I I first learned about RxBAR myself. I think, uh, as I said, my wife got them from a friend and then we were ordering them off Amazon. And I think as you you said, there's... Mm -hmm various different channel outlets now uh you know to buy goods we have the amazons the latest i heard is shopify and walmart are now partnering together which is going to you know potentially give amazon some competition and then you still have the traditional retailer let alone your own site so it's it's a tricky element of what is your brand going to mean on these different properties out there I, i can only i can only imagine
1: yeah, there. I mean, the companies you, you said it there are companies like Spotify or even Rakuten, um, that are just shooting up to be this SaaS or out of the box. Anybody can sell something out of their their place and scale themselves up. And and most companies are just starting Shopify accounts and then scaling is so big and they can either keep it or build it on their own. And and you see all these born out of direct DDCs, the, the, the Caspers of the worlds or the dollar shave clubs and, and the hymns and all those things, they're, they're realizing, especially in a time now where we're in this pandemic, that they're going to win only because they already have the infrastructure. The large companies right. who don't have the infrastructure, they, they need to transform now while they can before the whole economy opens right back up and that new normal is already normal.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the other interesting shift that you know I, I haven't been able to see a, a large degree of differentiation across different channels, which you know I only had a small part of my career in more consumer-based good marketing, but you know it was all about what do we have for each retailer. Right? We mm-hmm. couldn't sell the same thing into one retailer versus the next. Whereas now I find that we're you know because we're in such a compare economy. You know, it is about the same product. Perhaps we need less differentiation. So the challenge is, is really how, as you said, we, we keep everyone happy with the same products.
1: There, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think we, we did this a little bit at Rx. Um, a lot of retailers didn't want the same thing somebody else got because there, there are situations where one retailer didn't want it because they knew they couldn't price compare to one of the competitors who were gonna be lower. So they wanted some kind of differentiation so the prices could be different. There are ways that you can do that if you have a really good supply and operation chain, then you can differentiate slightly. At Hasbro, there are a lot of different pack sizes that did it, so instead of buying a pack of five Play-Doh cans, you can get a 10-pack it's the same colors or variations but it was just a different pack size um, which allows that differentiation and and it a lot of that has to go through now with, with your supply chain and and how agile is your supply chain in order to accommodate some of these requests
0: really interesting really interesting challenges and shifts that companies are having to make victor we could chat about this for hours Uh, We will take a break though here and we'll get to know a little bit of you outside of work right back here on the marketer's journey. I found it really interesting to hear Victor talk about needing to take that chance, needing to say something that's going to get people to drop their jaw or lean in and say, how do we do this? It reminds me of when I was younger in my career. I worked for a company called Rubbermaid, and I would go around as part of the role store to store. In my case, I had to go to Walmart stores, and I had to do certain things that were part of the job. Don't get me wrong. They were checklist items. But to me, it was always about how do I do something that's going to stand out, stand out at store level, stand out to my peers, stand out to the management levels. And taking those risks, if I look back, is really what gave me that opportunity to jump to the next point in my career. Now that next jumping point isn't necessarily going to be a C level or VP level, but as you do that consistently at every stage in your career, as you go beyond what the job description requires, that's how you get to the point of being able to stand out and create an amazing career journey. All right, Victor, we've unpacked your career, the buyer journey, focused on that digital transformation. How do you transform yourself? I feel like transformers and transforming (laughs) is the theme today, but how do you transform yourself from that busy nine to five, or probably much more than that, to taking a break, uh, disconnecting? How do you make that a priority as a busy C-level
1: leader? I think, I think every, every executive needs to find what their oasis is, and, and in most cases, it's their family and, and whatever they do personally. Um, for me, there's a little bit of a blend of both. One is, um, as I alluded to a little bit in the beginning, I'm a fan of what I do, and, and I hate to say it, but I consider it a hobby. And, and obviously, the definition of hobby is something you're interested in, and a lot of people partake in hobbies during their downtime. Um, I am, I am such a fan of what happens in this marketing and digital marketing space that, that I just look at other people's and, and I'm weird because I like watching commercials. I like to kind of re-engineer kind of how that brief was written because for me, it's just fascinating. Now that's the non-boring kind of weird side, but on the other kind of deep you have to find the time. Um, I am a big believer um, and which may not be may, may not be a fan of a lot of people who hear me say this, is that I believe in most workplaces and cultures, we are incredibly inefficient. Um, I do believe that in a standard 40-hour work week or whatever it is, you can get what you need to get done and then some. It's a matter of efficiency. You don't need 20 people to approve a banner ad. You don't need the reply alls. You don't need this back and forth. And I think if you model yourself and your team's and the rest of the organization into this model of efficiency, you will find you have time and that you have downtime and that, and that you, you your staff does as well. And I think it's just a, a culture in a lot of the work environments. And hopefully a lot of this work from home now will kind of help break that. Um, that opens up your free time. And, and what I do in our free time is a ton of stuff, obviously, um, family and everything that's going on, but I have a handful of hobbies that I absolutely love and spend a good amount of time on. Um, while still being able to get my job done as well as needed that's great advice
0: victor that's great advice i i can't thank you enough for everything today i I, i'm sure people are going to want to tune in if if they want to get more of your
1: insights where should they follow you is it linkedin is it they can find me um on all the platforms on um, linkedin uh primarily twitter um those are the big ones so it's at v lee V L E E is my twitter handle or look me up victor lee under linkedin
0: Amazing. Well, you you must have been early into this, as you said earlier, if you've got at
1: E Lee. That's uh, The funny thing really, small sorry, funny thing. I have been offered money by at least three people with the name Victor Lee who's trying to buy from me on that. <laughs> so I did get lucky, yes.
0: Amazing. Congrats. Don't, don't let that go. It's not worth it. It's not worth the dollars. Uh, Victor, this has been great. Uh, if you've enjoyed listening to Victor today, you'll enjoy a lot of the other episodes we have here on The Marketer's Journey. Check us out. We are everywhere. Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere you get your podcasts. And when you can, leave us some feedback. Until next time, this is The Marketer's Journey.